Welcome back to another episode of Triple G Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Kerr, a.k.a. The Ginger, and we are back in the saddle with a little tear in our eye as it is the final episode of Season 2, the season finale, How Time Flies. It's been an absolute wild ride in terms of starting out at the start of this season with uh, still with Dutch and Ginger and Dutch and transitioning over now into Triple G taking a couple weeks off and some breaks here and there, but we've, we've had 27 guests along the way and none more often than this guy I'm going to bring on. This is his sixth time on in season two. He is now a resident podcaster for triple G and that is the old boy. Old boy. How are you doing? My friend? I'm good. I'm, I'm wondering if I'm going to get my Christmas bonus. I know it's my sixth episode now for the year, you know, a little something under, under the Christmas tree here for the old boy. That'd be nice. Hey? Oh, yeah, On behalf sure. of, of all of our major sponsors. Oh yeah. You're going to, uh, who knows? You never, you might get a little pair of Maui gyms. You hey? never know. A new Callaway golf putter. There right? we go. There we go. <laughs> the old boy might get something. So. I love it. Well, thanks for coming on. No, like I said, uh, from you and Dutch, uh, you've been our main our main two guys coming on uh, in terms of guests and and uh, shooting the shit with me here on, on Triple G. So so thanks again. And uh, you know what? We were talking off air about a lot of COVID stuff. Don't want to talk too much COVID tonight. Want to talk some football because who know how, who knows how much longer we're going to have it here. There is potential for a shutdown uh, in the next couple of weeks. We hope the NFL can push through, but you never know. Old boy, let's get right into week 15. What did you learn in week 15? I think, you know what, we were reminded again that just when you think you got it figured out, you know, you don't have a damn clue. Like, I think if you want to talk about, you know, when the last time we had a season like this where you could legitimately make a case for 10 teams to win this whole thing, right? And you, and you go from one week where you look really hot and you're flying on all cylinders and, you know, you're beating the teams you're supposed to beat and then you wake up a week later and, you know, look what happened in Tampa. I know they had a couple of injuries there, but who would have thought they would get shut out? First time Tom's got shut out in, what, over a decade, right? Against, yep. you know, Saints got a good team. They got nice pieces on defense, but come on now, right? Like, you know, for them to shut out that team is remarkable. You know, and obviously what we saw what happened with Arizona and Detroit. I know I get, you know, Campbell's got the boys fired up. They're playing for nothing. They're having fun, nice and loosey-goosey. And obviously, you know, Arizona's missing a couple key guys on the offensive line and obviously with the big boy out wide as well too. But still, you know, like just when you think you got to figure it out, man, I tell you, you, you get slapped around and you realize that on any given week, someone's going to show up and, uh, you know, and, and potentially get hot at the right time and, and maybe win this whole thing. Right. So, yeah. Well, and that's, that's the key, right? You look at some of those teams in the past in terms of, you know, we've seen those giants teams and, and some of the early 2000s and, and late 90s Green Bay teams that were, you know, 9 and 7, 10 and 6. And you're right. It, it, all it takes is a, a four to six week stretch there where you get hot and you can you can cause some serious damage. Yeah, there's definitely some teams where you can already see that if they get in, watch out, right? Like, you know, the example in the AFC, obviously, would be someone like Indianapolis, yeah. right? And like, there's a team that, you know, obviously – 
I'm not sure you really want to put the ball in, in Carson Wentz's hands a ton and have him try and win you ball games, but you, know, you got a guy in the backfield that's arguably making a case for being the best running back in the league right now. And, you know, behind that offensive line and some of the, you know, the key pieces on that defense in terms of forcing turnovers and making it hard on these guys, there's a team that they got hot and we've seen it with Tennessee in the past, right? Like that, that formula, you can get some success out of it, right? Run the ball, play good defense. Now, the difference here, obviously, is making sure that Wentz isn't putting in the other team's hands more than a couple times a game or, you know, if anything, hopefully not at all. But, yeah, there's a team that, that, that you know, that could scare you, right? If they get in, watch out because it looks like they're, they're peaking at the right time right now, right? I think they've won, what, seven of their last nine games? Like, they're humming right now, big time. Yeah, so. yeah and then you, you flip over to the NFC side and there's a team like San Fran now that uh, you just – all it takes for them is they, they're getting hot now too, right? And it's it's – well, that's right. And that's a team that, you know, people kind of wrote off. They said, oh, you know, the yep. Niners, you know, they kind of got off to a slow start. You know, people weren't still really fully buying into Jimmy G. And listen, Jimmy G, man, for what it's worth, he works well on that offense. He does. He's not he's not perfect. He's not physically gifted the way some of the other big-name guys are. But in that offense, with those pieces with Shanahan, like, they work well together. Kind of like what you see happening in New England right now with Mac Jones. Like, you know, he's not the most gifted guy, but you know, he gets the ball where it needs to be accurately, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, and really lets the guys around him, that supporting cast kind of lets, lets them shine ultimately, right? And lets the kind of the game plan that your your OC and your head coach have kind of scripted, let it kind of play out, and just don't fuck up, right? That's the whole play there is just don't make any mistakes, right? So, Oh, 100%. And, and even being live at the game there um, in, in week 14 against Cincy, he he does it like he, he you watch him warm up and the, the ball speed the ball's not humming off of his hand. Um, you watch him in the pocket and he, you know, he's sometimes late. He just he doesn't he doesn't wow you right. But what he does do is he's just steady Eddie and like you said he he knows where the ball should go. He's able to get it into the hands of these receivers and these playmakers. We know how dynamic Debo Samuel is, and he just continues to move the chains. And one thing that, that Jimmy G doesn't get credit for and, and watching Hubbard and Hendrickson, I know he got hurt there in the second quarter of that game, so he wasn't able to have a full effect on it, is he's got great pocket awareness, Jimmy G. He's, he's, he's so good at sliding and moving to be able to buy himself that extra split second here and there so he can get the ball to where it needs to go. And he knows where his bread's buttered in, in Kittle and, you know, He's starting to make a claim that hey, I am still a top three, top five tight end in this this league. He's been nobody's been hotter in my mind in the last five weeks than than George Kittle. Um, so they're a team that nobody wants to face. You don't want to, have to face them again because they're gonna they're gonna give you that smash mouth ground and pound. You know, it's one of those offenses too that can travel well into bad weather, and you're gonna get that now. So they have to go into Lambeau, right, or they have to go somewhere on the road. I know. You know, fortunately for them, a lot of the creme de la creme in the NFC, that, yeah. you know, they're all going to be good weather teams or in domes or like, yeah. you know, but, you know, listen, it looks like right now, the way things are shaping up that, you know, Green Bay is most likely going to grab that number one overall seed. And you may eventually have to go walk through Lambeau sometime here in this playoffs. And, you know, there is a team in San Fran that if they had to go through Lambeau, like, would you be entirely shocked if they walked in and beat them? Because they're nope. gonna, you know, they have a they have a, a recipe here, which I think is gonna again is gonna translate well in terms of you know postseason performance. Should they find a way to get in, for sure, for sure. 
So what I learned, old boy, in in, in uh, week 15 was two things. And I know we're, as we record here on Tuesday night, we're just finishing up the last two games as the, the Eagles hold a seven-point lead midway through the third on Washington and, and Seattle, and the Rams are tied here uh, at 10 with about two minutes to go in the third. But I learned that Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers continue to have nine lives because these guys just don't die. You know, Ben doesn't even throw for 150 yards. Coming off of a, a you know a last second game play against the Vikings in Minnesota the week before, um, Najee Harris has 12, 12 rushing attempts for a whopping eighteen yards, and they still win. And he is going to hold, continue to hold that record of uh, of winning seasons or five hundred seasons, and they just won't go away. And we talked about it off air. Um, they may catch a huge break this week if that game's played on Sunday and. Travis Kelsey and uh, Tyreek Hill cannot step on the field due to COVID concerns. Um, these Pittsburgh Steelers all of a sudden could be eight, six, and one, and could be in the playoffs here out of nowhere. Here's here's my favorite stat about Big Ben and these Steelers. So I know you like it. You know you, you dabble a little bit in some of those you know those Marvel superhero movies, right? So Spider Man just came out, right? This past yep. that was a big thing. Oh, yeah. I know Steelers. where you're going. Yeah, you yeah. see that stat? I did see that. Stat. Big Ben undefeated yeah. has never lost a home game after a live action movie starring Spider Man has been released. So seven and zero, right? Seven and zero now. Yeah, seven and zero. So for all these, you know, all these guys that they're, they know, it's like it's like they always say, you know, don't don't ever bet against Mike Tomlin as a home dog, right? He's going to eat your lunch. Him as a home dog is like over seventy percent or something, yeah. you know, through the roof, right? This is one of these teams that you know, it's listen, they do things fundamentally well, right? They're going to get a good pass rush. They have guys on defense who are going to force turnovers. You know, listen, you saw them play live in many where they just looked like complete dog shit. But you yeah. know what? If they get back to those fundamentals and their discipline and it's generate some, you know, some pressure up front, you know, make it hard on the opposing quarterback, maybe force a couple turnovers in the back end with guys like Fitzpatrick or whatnot or someone in the middle. And you just, you know, you lean on the kid at running back and you keep it simple. You let Ben get that ball out as quick as possible and get into the arms of those guys like, you know, the Deontay Johnsons of the world and, yep. and the Claypools. Because, listen, you got a Deontay Johnson. That guy now, like, listen, where would you put him right now? in terms of wide receiver ranking across the entire league, would he be a borderline top 10 guy now? Yeah. He'd be, he'd be my top 10. He's, he's dynamic. Both right. those guys are like, it's, it, there was a couple plays watching live there that big Ben just, he literally just threw it up. Yeah. And he's like, go get it. And, and there was one specifically right in front of us in the end zone where, you know, he threw it up and, and Deontay Johnson just went up and got it. And it was, it was quite the touchdown. And then, and don't forget about the other rookie. You know, Pat Fryermuth is is quickly turning into the the new Heath Miller here, and um, he's just steady Eddie. He's going to get you know five for fifty six, and it's extra if he gets you in the end zone from time to time. But he's just that chain moving tight end that Big Ben loves, right? Well, listen, they were ridiculed. We, like you and I, even offline, we're kind of giving him a hard time that on the draft night there where they went offensive skill position in the first second round. They went Harris. Firemouth back to back, and we kept saying, you know, they got to rebuild that old line, you know, like with what's his name that was the center there, the twin brother here retiring, and whatnot. Like they got to, oh, like, the pouncy, right? Pouncy, right? Like, yep. They got to start like rebuilding that old line to keep Ben upright because, you know, Lord knows he's not mobile anymore and needs all the help he can get. And they just said, fuck it. We're just going to keep loading up on offensive skill talent and just try and, you know, do what they're doing, get it out quick and then get it in the hands of these playmakers and have them, you know, 
make guys miss and and get that yak after after the catch and whatnot, right? So, yeah, no, listen, they're there, man. They're they're live dogs. That that whole AFC North right now is it's going to be great football down the stretch. Bunch of divisional games as well too, which is going to make it fun. You know, like someone like I guess who's Pittsburgh got coming up here. We can kind of get into it a little bit deeper here, but you know, like I know that you know what you got Cincinnati and Baltimore this weekend. Ton of really good games coming up here. Who do you think wins that thing? If I put a gun to your head right now, who wins that division at the end of the year? In the AFC North? So I'm just looking at So Pittsburgh finishes with with KC. Then they got Cleveland and Pittsburgh on on Monday night in week 17. And then they got Pittsburgh and Baltimore. looks like a a Sunday night, Sunday one o'clock game as of right now. That could be flexed um, to one of the two. um, I don't know. I think ESPN is doing either Monday night or Saturday. I can't remember for week 18. But they're flexing two games for sure to a 430 and an 8 830. I I wouldn't say Pittsburgh. I'm just rolling through the standings here. Uh Cleveland's got Cincy in week 18. Cincy's got the Chiefs. Oof. And who does Baltimore got here? Give me Baltimore. Where's my Baltimore here? But I'm just worried about them down the stretch. Well, listen, if Lamar's not healthy, man, like you could see, like, you know, they're they're grasping on straws. They need, and they're so banged up, right? That defense is banged up. The offense is banged up. You know, it's, if Baltimore had been fully healthy, I think they would have ran away with it this year. It's just you can see that they're just they're grasping at straws right now. And you know, it'd be a tough road. This game this weekend against Cincinnati, I think, is it's going to determine who wins this division. I think here, to be honest with you. So, yeah, you know what? If if you had to hold the gun to my head, I would probably. You're right. I'd probably say Cincinnati. I'd probably say Cincinnati just because I think they can handle their business against Baltimore at home. Lamar's going to be coming back off of that injury. Who knows how efficient and effective he's going to be, you know, and then, and then they've got the chiefs who knows what's going to happen there. And then they've got the Browns. I, I think since he wins two out of those last three. And I think, uh, I think they take that division home. You remember when we were talking last year, we were doing the quarterback carousel, we are talking about Joe Burrow in that division. And I said, yeah, I thought he was going to be the best quarterback in the division. Not, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't think it would be this year. I thought maybe by the end of next year, he'd be the number one guy in the division. And I think he could only make a case. Don't get me wrong. Lamar is dynamic. He's, he's, he's a game breaker. But what they got going on right now, I think if you, if you consider Burrow – and all the talent that surrounds him at wide receiver and it in the running back room, I think you can make a case now that maybe he may not be the, the best quarterback, but offensively they are the most dynamic offense in that division right now. I really do think so. And when they're all healthy and you get Chase and you get Higgins and you get Boyd and everyone else humming, and if they can find a way to sure up that old line a little bit, they're building something special in Cincinnati. You know, I think they're going to be they're going to be around for a while, man. And I and that kid, I just. There's something about them, you know, late in the game. You know, if you need to score late or if they're tied or they're down by one or whatnot, I just feel like that offense is going to translate. I'm hoping, selfishly, I'm hoping they make it in because I think it'd be great to see them in the dance because they'd be one of those teams that would just be awesome to see. Same thing with the Chargers and Herbert. You want those guys in the playoffs because high pedigree guys, you want them to start building up that, you know, that CV of playoff games and, and, and taking their teams there after, you know, having not been there in a while. And it, it would be great for it, it to happen. But yeah, a, lot of sure. games, a lot of ball left, man. A lot of ball left. For sure. Yeah, you're, and you're, you're, you're bang on. The, the, to your Cincy point, I would say one thing and one thing only is let the reins off. Let them go. Let yeah. them go. They've got this. 
they love to run the ball. And I know Zach Taylor, he comes from McVay and it's, you know, that 11 personnel and with the three wides and we're going to run the ball with, with outside zone runs. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong. Joe Mixon's a, a very capable back and he's, you know, if he's not top five, he's just outside of it. Right. And he's, he's a, an effective playmaker, but I think if we want to see Burrow get to the next level, they've got to transition over to find a way to continue to get Joe Mixon 15 to 20 touches, but it doesn't necessarily have to come out of, you know, let's get behind center and, and we'll, we'll line up Mixon seven, eight yards deep and we'll let him have a running start. That may be the best way he's the most effective in terms of running the ball. And, and they may know that, but to me, if that's the case, then either you've got to transition his skill set to, okay, Joe, can we get you coming out of the backfield on some screens, on some on wheel routes, on some swing routes, get him the ball in the quick passing game so he's still getting those touches, but you're allowing Joe more drop-back opportunities where he doesn't necessarily need to, you know, Joe Mixon's not the first read there in that in a pass play. You know, he's still looking down the field for, like you said, Chase Higgins and Boyd. And then if it's not there, hey, I've got Joe to dump it down to. And does that make sense? Yeah, listen, I, I think you're spot on. I think maybe I, I always wonder, you know, how much of this has to do with the fact that they knew the kids come back from a terrible knee injury. They knew that that offensive line really wasn't where they wanted to be yet. So as a result, it's that, you know, that classic balance of trying to take pressure off the kid by yep. pushing the run game rather than just, you know, doing what they do in Buffalo where they just, you know, they're throwing it 40, 50 times a game and, you know, everyone's pinning their ears back, coming after the quarterback the whole game. Like, I, I just wonder, you know, it's, it's a, he's a rookie and really he's only really been in the league for what now? Like, you know, that was not rookie, was second year guy, but last year he was cut short by what? What did he play three quarters of the year last year? So yeah, I think he just got past halfway, you know, off the top of my head, eight, eight, nine games, maybe. Well, let's see how things look next year, but I'm with you. I think the kid can definitely handle it. It's now just a matter of, you know, eventually, you know, like you said, letting them who, and who knows down the stretch here, they may actually need them, right? Like if they get behind here, all of a sudden now they can't be running the ball, as much as they'd like, they're going to have to start letting them sling it. And I, that's happens, man. Give me it. Give me more of that because I love, I love it, man. I, I think again, you could go back and forth and, you know, should they have drafted Chase? Should they went with Sewell at, at or it was four or five there when they drafted him and it, you know, I, I think so far you could say they've, they've made the right call. Um, and you got, you got to think that next year they're going to start loading up now on, on, on the big uglies. Cause they got a lot of the skilled guys figured out for sure. Right. Yeah, so. There's no doubt. So, oh boy, we look at this AFC before we flip over to the NFC. We look at this AFC playoff race, and it's pretty sexy to me, other than one team on there. You know, you got Kansas City, you got New England, you got the team that I don't like, which I won't name. Then you got Cincinnati, Indianapolis, the Chargers, and Buffalo. How good is that in terms of the AFC? You got Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Jonathan Taylor. Um, we got the Bengals, which we just talked about. You got rookie Mac Jones with a great New England D. Belichick's back in the playoffs. Great story. You got Big Red and Andy Reid and those Chiefs rolling in trying to defend again, you know, defend that AFC crown. But the Tennessee Titans are the you know, this evil stepbrother that's just sitting there that just doesn't have any sexy right now. But if Derrick Henry comes back, maybe a little bit different. Julio and AJ. Who knows, really, they haven't been on the field a lot together this year. But if you were to have one team to come from outside of the race, per se, in terms of Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Vegas, Miami, Cleveland, or Denver, who are you taking to replace um, one of those teams? 
Oh, I, you know, in a perfect world, you know, if I could kind of script it up, it would be the Colts find a way to somehow overtake the Titans for the division. And then it, it gives someone like a, give me another one of those teams from the AFC North this weekend, whether it be Ravens or Brownies. If the Brownies are healthy, again, just, you know, those playmakers they have on the defensive side of the ball. And again, you know, they still got a guy, you know, and, they got two backs if they're if they're both healthy and dynamic and ready to go where you know that'd be a team as well and and again you know baker i know baker's been underperforming here but i'd like to give the guy a shot to get him back in the dance and show us something like go earn that next contract see if you can get this team on a little bit of a run and you know cleveland's a great you know blue collar you saw him last night like i love it it reminds me so much of like buffalo and pittsburgh and the rest of those like rust belt cities where it's just like they love their ball team so much you can see it like it's you know, sure, you know, Cleveland may have, you know, other big four in, in that city, but it's Brownies, man. That's really all they care about. It really, you can see it now. Like, that's that's their passion. They love it. Um, I don't know. How about you, man? I, like, listen, don't let's, – let's get back with the Titans here for a second because, you know, you, you got you got A.J. Brown. Sounds like he's coming off IR this week. If they can get Derrick Henry back come playoff time, they're a totally different team. Tannehill's a totally different quarterback with him there. Um, but there's no denying they've been dog shit of late, right? They've lost three of their last four. The only game they've won in that time frame has been, you know, against the Jags, where, yeah. you know, come on now, right? Everyone was rolling. It'll, it'll be tough. I think it was 90, 91% right now for them to win the division. I think it was um, – It's because they beat them all. Yeah, yeah, and even if, they lose, even if they lose all three, they're still at like 40% chance of winning the division, and the Colts would have to obviously sweep – sweep everything that they've got left right so thing though right so colts have arizona they're at arizona who are, are reeling a bit right now and uh, i gotta look at the line in that game right now but there's no reason why that line should be anything more than a field goal if it's anything more than a field goal for arizona you should be you know telling Terry you're getting a second mortgage on the house and you're and you're hammering the colts because there's no way <laughs> there's no way that they should be more than a field goal dog in that game given like recent performance and and how well they've been playing right one, then, one point one point yeah there you go right and then then they got to go then they got to go to uh, sorry then they come back at home against vegas and then at yep. jacksonville so they can get past arizona and that titans team like they got to play san fran this week san fran should win that ball game right Right, yep. they should. Right, they got they got they're at home versus San Fran. San Fran should walk in there, and 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 that game again should be a tough game inside of a field goal type game, and then Miami. And who knows what happens with those Dolphins? Right, like, would you be shocked if Miami won that game? Like, he, he, no, who knows? Right, so who knows, man? It's uh, we'll have to see how things play out here. But uh, you're right; it's nice to see a couple of familiar faces getting back into the dance again. Um, I think by far and away the AFC. Is probably the strongest one to seven without even question. And one to ten is hell of a lot stronger than what you're seeing on on the NFC side. I think the NFC still has those top heavy blue bloods, but you know that six seven slot can get a little bit noisy. And then after that, you know, you have teams like Washington for God's sakes that are still trying to you know potentially be on the outside looking in or just a knock on the door in the hunt. Same thing with the Eagles and whatnot, right? So yeah, it kind of falls I, off a cliff, right? Yeah, I totally agree. Once you get to six, like San Fran to me is a, a good football team. They yes. you know they walk into into Cincinnati and, and win a game in overtime and and you know do it pretty convincingly other than the blowing fourth quarter lead. But um they're a good team and we we've talked about what they can do on in terms of their game traveling. And then the blue bloods you talked about, but you're right after 
you know, Minnesota's a, a shit show. New Orleans has been pieced together all season long and, and has really kind of gotten a little bit lucky here along the way. And then it's, like you said, Washington, Philly, Atlanta, Seattle, Carolina, who's now effectively almost out, but not mathematically. Like, it's pretty it's pretty, pretty junk from, from seven on the way down, right? Very thin, for sure. So, but there's definitely some teams, like, you know, we, you could say that, you know, a team like Minnesota, given the offensive firepower they have, and if they can get, you know, competent quarterback play from Cousins, there's a team that, do you really want to play them in the first round? Like, if you're if you're the Cowboys and you finished number two overall, do you really want to see Minnesota in the first round? No. Not. No. They could walk in and give you a hell of a hard time, man. Like, if the defense is humming and they're, and they're making plays, you know, they got Pro Bowl talent on that defensive side of the game. You know? Minnesota's best is 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 top five six in the league. Yeah, when Minnesota's playing at their best. Yeah, the pro to me all, all season long they've they've been a product of their coaching. It's time for it's time for Mike Zimmer to oh, go. I know. Well, that's the one. How about that bet? So I don't know if you saw that one. Obviously, with um, with Urban getting canned, but so those you could you could put a bet on that. Like not everyone has that you know that bet they're off right now, but you could put a bet down on first quarterback to get sacked, right? Or sorry, not first quarterback, first head coach to get sacked. And I think Urban was paying like 50 to 1, right? And I think the odds on favorites being the year was something like Matt and Haggy, like, you know, the guys you thought for sure were kind of already on thin ice coming into this season, right? Yeah. But there's no way in hell Mike Zimmer survives this thing. If they find a way to make the playoffs, maybe he finds a way to hold on to his job, but just so archaic. Like, give me some, like, you know, forward-looking, progressive offensive mind that comes in there and just, like, lets those guys cook because they got so much talent, right? Like, get creative with these guys. You got so many – you got these great weapons out wide. You got a couple nice secondary pieces and, like, an Osborne in that tight end they have there as well, too. Um, They got Ty Conklin, right? Ty Conklin. Irv Smith's still there when he comes back from injury. Right, Irv Smith's there. You got, you know, one of the, again, top three, top five dynamic running backs in the league when he's healthy as well, too, and – I just, you know, give me more of that. Like, you know, let and Cousins is what he is, man. At the end of the day, like, again, he's not sexy, but is he a top 12 quarterback in the league? Probably. He probably is. At the end of the day, like, it'd be hard for you to admit it at face value, but when you went down and actually looked at the numbers and forgot all the foolish, you know, highlights you see him when he's throwing the ball. See that See that pick last night in the Bears game? Oh, my goodness. He, like, just threw, like, a Hail Mary, like, just, a, like, a, a duck to center field there where, you know, and there's still time on the, on the clock. Like, it was still, like, what, like, 40 seconds left in, se- in the first quarter or the second quarter, my apologies. Second quarter, yeah. But, you know, he's had a decent little year there, and it's one of those teams where if they make, if they find a way to get in, you don't want to see them, man, because they're not going to be a cupcake. They're going to be able to hang tight, and they can score points, and you don't want, like, if you finish second overall, that's not going to be a team you want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and, and if they miss the playoffs, you're bang on because he's gone because – from as a defensive coach, which Mike Zimmer is, we mm-hmm. all know, you know, coming over from Cincinnati, from from as being a defensive coordinator, being in Baltimore before that, and and you know that zone blitz scheme and and all that stuff that he that he brings, you know, if we're fourteen games into the season and the Minnesota Vikings have let up over three hundred forty points, like that's that's just flat out not good enough from your defense. I don't care if you know Kendricks and Barr have been in and out of the lineup, whoever's in that lineup, you got to find a way to be better than that because that's fourth worst in the NFC and, and you're going to go ahead and miss the playoffs. Like you said, with all those offensive weapons, 
not good enough, he won't survive. He's to me, he's got to win a football. He's got to make the playoffs and win a game in the playoffs to even have a chance of saving this job in Minnesota. And they got a tough couple of games coming here. They got to go. They got they have at home against the Rams and then at Green Bay. Yeah. And Green Bay still gonna be playing some for some because they'll be most likely playing for that number one overall seed, right? They they have the division lock, but they're looking for that buy. So they'll be in there. Rodgers will be there. They'll be humming. They'll be trying to step on your throat and knock you out. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so my my last question here, and we'll flip over to our uh, we'll we'll go back over to our um, player of the year picks and MVP picks quickly, and then we'll take a quick peek at Week 16, and we'll we'll get on out of here. As we close out week 15, looks like the uh, the Rams are up by seven and the Eagles are up by 10. So those are going to be your two winners, uh, let's per se, if mm-hmm. they can hold on here for week 15. And as it sits now in the AFC and the NFC, I know you mentioned way back about six weeks ago that the Rams were your pick coming out of the NFC. I didn't catch who your AFC pick was, but who is the old boys pick for the Super Bowl in 2021? <sighs> Right now, my 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 pick would be, and it's kind of chalk, but only I just I'm looking at you know the way this is going to play out here, and I have a hard time going, you know, anywhere but here. In the AFC, I think the Chiefs are going to end up coming out again. It pains me to say it. I just they they figured this thing out. I know I know they haven't really faced a top tier defense. Probably the last top tier defense they played was probably Buffalo when we when Buffalo came in there and beat them right. And again, I use that loosely in terms of them being a top tier. I think they're they're a top tier pasty, which is what you need against someone like you know the Chiefs, right? Forget the run yep. getting shredded on the ground in the air with you know obviously Trey White's not there anymore, but that you know that safety duo and whatnot and the pressure they were able to generate up front. I think you know they still haven't really you know beaten anyone that's worthwhile on the defensive side right now, but Chiefs on the AFC side. And again, it's kind of chalky, but man, I just I look what they've done, and it just I can't I can't bet against the guy. And I think it's going to be the pack in the NFC right now. They've just really impressed me the last little bit. Like we we're, we're going to get into it here right now, but you know how could how could A Rod not be your MVP? How could he not be your MVP this year? If you if you cut out the bullshit off the field about the vac status and the cancel culture sweatshirts and all the other horseshit, <laughs> if you just look at the performance on the field. Fuck, man. Given the fact that he's lost so many key pieces, he lost his left tackle. He lost two big playmakers on the defensive side of the, of the ball. You know, he's been really without, other than Adams, who else he got? Is a mixed bag of toys out wide. It's just yeah. him on the floor got to be the favorite for MVP and coach year right now because it's just impressive what they've done with, with what they have. Yeah, you can't argue. It's what I had on my notes, buddy. It, it, it's, and you can you can look and you can search and you can try to find all of the ins and outs and, and every stat known to man here and man and woman, but it keeps, to me, it keeps coming down to those two teams again, you know, without Godwin. Um, that's what, that's what scares me now. The Bucs, if they're healthy, I think that you can make a case for Tampa again, but right. God, sounds like Fournette's going to go to IR. Who knows how long that will last. That yeah. You know, the IR means at least three weeks, and then he gets activated back. They got 21 days to get him back. Like, that's that's a four to six week window there, which means we're into the playoffs at that point if there's no shutdown. Cardinals, you can't trust. Cowboys. Hopkins you, is gone now, too. They say to the NFC Championship game. Like, that's right. That's, so, that's, you know, you could stick stick firm with your Rams. And if you wanted to take a flyer in the NFC, you would, you know, you'd go with those 49ers like we yeah. talked about. 
And then the AFC, just put them all into a mix. You know, if you if you don't want to take the, the Chiefs, you might as well just put them all in a hat and pick one out because well, you probably got just as good a chance with anybody from two down to, I'd say, seven or so. So here's my caveat in the AFC, obviously. If Buffalo can find a way to win the division, right, they're not going to get the number two overall seed because they're already sitting at six losses. I'd be shocked if they found a way to get there. They would need a ton of help around them. Yeah, um, it could happen, right? Like you know, there's a whole log jam here at nine and six, and if they win this, or sorry, at six losses, if they beat New England, they're going to be both be locked in a nine and six. The Titans are probably going to lose again as well too, coming up yeah, in the next I, little bit. Yeah, the the key you nailed it. The team there, there's the team there because it's the Titans, right? You're a game, you're one loss behind them, and the tiebreaker. Right? And the tiebreak, you need Tennessee yeah. to fall off a bit here. But what I'm getting at so here, you'd be looking at a number three. But are you afraid to go into Tennessee? No. No, right, no one is right, but here's the thing, right? Is that there's a team in the Bills, and forget the whole Homer angle here. At the end of the day, they get the second best quarterback in the AFC. Yep. That's a fact, right? And if he's hot, you saw what happened that second half against Tampa a couple weeks back. If they play that kind of ball, watch out. They can beat anyone, right? Yep. And they, they've already beat Casey this year, so they they know they can do it. They're confident. They they kind of have a script in place that would work. Now, obviously, Casey was dealing with things defensively at that point, but still, Buffalo would be that that dark horse team. And it's hard to see them, you know, putting them in as a dark horse. But given the fact that they're, you know, on the bubble right now, of not even making the whole thing. And if they lose this weekend, watch out, they could be out of the whole thing altogether. If they could find a way to get in, they could find a way to win the division. That's a team that I think, just based on the pedigree and how deep that roster still is. You know, there's a, there's a team that I think can make it out of there as well. Yeah, I, and I agree. You know, you're right. The Homer thing, whatever. But I do agree. Cole Beasley, Cole Beasley doesn't matter. Give me, give me uh, Sanders back if he can get back this week. Give me Isaiah McKenzie. Well, it's not, not going to matter. Uh, listen, uh, you and we and we've had this conversation offline, but why can't Sanders slot in there in the, in the slot? That's that's probably where he's better suited. Put the big boy and Gabe Davis out wide with Diggs, and you put Sanders in the slot with McKenzie, and away you go, man. Let it. Rip. They'll be fine. I yeah. think. Not I think. Work, I think so. you're. I think you're right, though. I think if. I think, not only for seeding, but also for their mojo, if they can go ahead and win this game and then handle business against an Atlanta team that may or may not be playing for anything, and then a Jets team that's running for the uh, running for the bus in the airplane to get south somewhere warm, um, and they win that division, I agree with you hundred wholeheartedly, one hundred percent. Look out. Hey, before, uh, they before got a home, home the, playoff game and they could they could really get rolling. Before before we, we move over here, talk to me about the Dallas Cowboys here. They're eight and one in the conference. Okay. That defense is the difference right now. The defense. We know they have that offensive talent out wide and what they have under center and in the backfield. They got tons of guys up front. They got a great all line. The defense is the difference this year. Micah Parsons and Diggs taking a step. They're eight and one in the conference. Okay, the Bucks and Cards are both six and one in the conference. If they can find a way, if the Pack slip up and they can find a way to get that number one overall seed, listen, they got to play Washington, Arizona, Philly to end the season. Why can't the Cowboys grab that number one overall seed potentially and be your NFC representation this year in the Super Bowl? I don't trust. I don't. What the defense is taking a step. Don't get me wrong. But for for two two reasons, number one and the main one, I don't trust the coaching staff. I think they're gonna fuck it up in some form or fashion along the way in terms of whether it be game plan, 
or just clock management, game management. I don't trust Mike McCarthy and the staff at all. And two, the defense is, is good and it has taken a step, but it it it's, it reminds me of the, the 2017 Bills in terms of relies a lot on the turnovers and the big plays. They still give up a lot of yards. Um, if they go against one of these teams, and i.e. the Packers, or the or the Bucks, where you know they've got a dominant offensive line and they can slow down some of these, you know the the Parsons and the Lawrences and some of these big time pass rushers that the Cowboys offer, um, I think it might be tough for them. It's an interesting conversation, right? Because like I think they kind of get overlooked and right now. If you ask a lot of people what they think of the NFC, they're going to mention Green Bay. They're going to mention the A the NFC West. And they overlook the, the the Cowboys a little bit. I feel like they're flying under the radar a little bit. Like, yeah. you know, you look up and you don't realize that they are eight and one in the conference, right? And that they are, you know, just they're one game away from being the number one overall seed and having things have to run through Dallas, right? But yeah, you know, it's that pass rush for me now. They got Gregory back and Lawrence is there and Parsons. You know, listen, man, and we again we're gonna get into it in greater detail here. But there's a guy that we were talking about, defensive rookie of the year. Forget that, man. What about the defensive player of the year? That yeah. guy right there right now, having that kind of a year, right? So, Well, let's let's kick it off right there. Let's start off with defensive rookie of the year. Obviously, to me, here here's the thing, and I'm going to lump them together between, because just like you did there, defensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year. If you're not, if you don't involve Parsons in the conversation for the player of the year, he's a lock for the rookie of the year. So to me, I think what's going to happen there is he's going to get the rookie of the year. Even though he should he should be right up there, and then the player of the year, I think we're bang on, buddy. I think you know you had Miles Garrett; he's still in that conversation. I had Matthew Judon still in that conversation, but to me, there's a couple guys that have kind of reemerged um, back into that conversation that I think will end up taking it down, and that's T.J. Watt, and I think Nick Bosa has made a late run, 15 sacks, 18 tackles for loss, leading the league. Look out for Nick Bosa. If he finishes the year strong, he could be that defensive player of the year. What are your thoughts? Bosa's having a great year. And again, you, we don't, you don't see him, right? That's the problem. Like with these San Fran games on the West Coast, you, you miss them sometimes, right? You miss that 425. And, you know, I don't know how you are, but often for me, it's going to be, I'll make sure to watch those one o'clock games. I may try and catch some of that 425, but man, you're making dinner, you're getting the kids all together and whatnot, right? Like, I find some of that production slips through the radar a little bit, right? But yep. that whole San Fran re- reemergence or the, that, that rebirth here in the second half has been off not just his back, but Fred Warren and the rest of that defense and, and all the, you know, just them making plays and, and being stout on that side. The thing with T.J. Watt that bothers me, not bothers me a bit, it's just that, I, listen, I don't get me wrong about the sack production. It's phenomenal. The sack production that this guy generates is amazing. The stat about Micah Parsons, though, that jumps off the page, and, and I'm sure you've seen a reference. And again, I don't have the exact number ahead of me, but it's it's something like his, you know, his. You, you look at the percentage of snaps that this guy lines up actually on the line, coming in to actually blitz or coming in and try and rush the quarterback. This guy's only like he's he's playing that hybrid role where he's either dropping back in coverage and he's sitting there and, and, and as a true kind of like middle linebacker off the ball linebacker. And there's other times where this guy's up on the line and he's coming in rushing the passer. If he actually put his hand in the ground like someone like a TJ Watt and rushed the quarterback at the same percentage of his snaps, this guy would have like he be he be beating Michael Strahan's all time record. Like it's it's phenomenal. Like the the production for the number of actual rushes 
is through the roof, man. And I just feel like, you know, unfortunately, one of these it's, it's like the MVP and a lot of these other individual awards. It's there's that team component as well, too, right? The whole rhetoric around the team and whatnot. And I think that with Dallas, if they find a way to get the first overall seed and if it's off the back of the defense and this kid, like he still has the platform here potentially. Like for what? It's the same thing. If he can drag the Steelers in the playoffs or even yeah. drag them in to win the division, then there you go, right? It's often going to be off the back of, you know, these next three games here are going to really kind of set, you know, say to Miles Garrett, you can make an argument for all yep. these big boys. They're all in the middle of a playoff push right now, right? Like that's the one thing that makes it special is that none of these guys are playing for a bottom feeder. This isn't like, you know, Josh Allen from Jacksonville who, let's say he was leading the league in sacks. Yeah, but you got two wins on the season. So no one gives a shit if you're leading the league in sacks. You know, you got two wins, right? You're playing yep. for a bottom 100%. feeder, right? These boys are all making meaningful plays in games that really still have a ton of, you know, you know they have they, they matter a ton in terms of seeding and, and playoff performance and 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 even just getting to the dance, right? So yeah, I know it's it's exciting, man. I don't know what would you say right now if you had to put money down right now? Who do you think is going to win this thing? I think they're I think they're going to go as they always do with the big the big name. I think I think Watt and Garrett are your your two lead dogs. Yeah, I'm cheer. I'm cheering for like you said, a, a Bo- somebody under the radar like a Bosa or even a Parsons to come up and and you know make history and do something like that. But I think it's going to come from one of those big big dogs in in Garrett or Watt. I really do. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Okay, offensive rookie of the year. We talked about Jamar Chase. We talked about Mac Jones. You know I would bang the table. I know he's missed the last couple of the games due to COVID, but I think Rayshon Slater should be there. But he's not even going to be in the conversation. But it's still got to be Chase, no? Over 1,000 yards, 10 TDs. Um, he's just been phenomenal. The thing that worries me, though, and that's the thing, if you go look on the betting, and like the betting markets right now, they have Mac Jones as the slam dunk favorite. And it's this whole rhetoric, right? I, I don't know if it's the media or what it is, like, Everyone is so caught up on trying to build this story, build this case to say that this kid is the, he's the heir to the throne, the Tom, and he's, he's him. It's, you know, they're, they're overlooking the fact that it's not him. It's, it's the defense, it's Belichick, it's everything else kind of falling into place down. that has gotten them back to where they need to be. But, you know, that somehow he's responsible for this, this year over year, you know, reemergence here. You know, listen, man, at the end of the day, you saw it in Buffalo a couple weeks back and even saw it against Indy. Like, sure, he makes a couple nice plays. And obviously the quarterback position is always going to be more highly regarded than other, you know, offensive skill positions. But I'm just not buying it, man. I'm really not. I'm, I, I really do feel like he's nothing more than a, he's a game manager. And ultimately, of all the guys that were drafted in the first round last year, he's the one who ended up on the best roster, right? Like that, uh, I guess 100%. You, could, you could say Trey Lance, but Trey Lance hasn't started there, right? So of the guys who had a chance to start, he ended up on the best roster, right? And so it's the classic case of, is it the team? Is it the situation? Or is it the quarterback, right? Like at the end of the day, it's like, you know, how would they have looked? Would they have looked any different with one of those other guys? Like what if Trevor Lawrence is there? Would he all of a sudden not be, you know, he, he'd be the, the favorite, you know, over Mac Jones if he ended up somewhere else, right? Like it's, it all comes down to circumstance. I, are you buying the hype with this kid? I'm not. I just don't think he's as special as everyone's making him out to be. No, I'm not. And I think, I think uh, the, you know, you hate using the word blueprint, but I think the Colts showed a lot of people something. And I think it's, it, everybody's known it. It's just a matter of trying to stop it. And I hope, 
a few teams over here in the next few weeks here can slow it down to slow that rhetoric down in terms of stop the run, force the kid to get into third and long and, and throw the ball. And I'm not saying that he's never going to be able to do it, but it's to me, it's the perfect comparison is, is somebody like a Russell Wilson, right? Came into the league, had a great running game, a coaching staff that knew what they wanted to do, a roster that was ready to win a great defense. And it was like, Russell, Russell, Russell. Well, to me, Russell's best football has been over the last two, three years. It wasn't when he was winning the Super Bowl because he was, a, to me, a, yeah, he made some great plays, but he was a glorified game manager in those years, right? Like that roster was ready to win now as compared to that roster right now is a piece of junk, as you know, and he's carried it to the playoffs for the last, like four out of the last five years, right? So he, to me, I'm not saying Mac will never be able to do it, but I think right now, I think there's limitations in the kid's game, and I think the game is still pretty quick for him, and I think it's going to take him some time to to be able to slow it down and get to that point. I think we can slow that rhetoric down if, if teams can stop the run, force him to throw, force him to hold on to the ball, and I think he'll start to take some sacks, take some negative plays, and kind of come down to size a little bit here in the last three weeks. Yeah, like at the end of the day, he's just, you know, he's just not that – physically gifted and i hate to say it but all the big blue chip guys in the league right now like go through your top 10 guys in the league they all have some type of a you know five-star type athletic trait right is it a big arm is it a you know is it you know are you quick or you whatever maybe are you super accurate like i guess you can make a case that maybe he's above average when it comes to accuracy but yep I'm, you know, and, and listen, you know, like they still don't have a ton of weapons for the kid. I know they went out and spent a ton of money last year, but really it wasn't flashy. It's, it's just it's so much of what they do in, in New England is it's all system space. It really is. You're plugging, you know, you're plugging a guy into a, into a, you know, into a, into a formula that works. Right. I just need you to do X. Right. I don't need you to do Y. I just need you to come in and literally do what we tell you to do. And there's no better example that the game against Buffalo today where, you know, guy threw three times in the game. Right. And they won. Right. So, you know, like how, how could you go ahead and crown a guy where in one of the biggest moments of his season, he literally only threw the ball three times. You can't, I just, you can't like that's, that's for that for me isn't, doesn't warrant. I know it's only a one game. It's not the entire sample size, but that doesn't, that doesn't warrant, you know, offensive player of the or rookie of the year. There's no way. No chance. I totally agree. So let's, let's rip through the last two here. We got MVP and offensive player of the year. You had six weeks ago, you had Stafford and Cup as your MVP and Offensive Player of the Year. I had Lamar Jackson, who I've obviously come off of now, and Matthew Stafford as my Offensive Player of the Year. I'm changing over right now. MVP is Aaron Rodgers. Like you said, can't argue it. 30 tutties, only four picks, 3,500 yards in passing. The guy's been absolutely phenomenal, uh, averaging 270 yards a game. They've got a good ground attack. 70 almost 70 percent completion rate and offensive player of the year i think he's in that mvp chat but if you can't have him in as mvp he's got to be in the offensive player of the year and that's jonathan taylor yeah 15 over 1500 yards already 17 tutties i know cooper cups having another monster year and hey he scored another two touchdowns tonight by the looks of it uh nine for 136 and two touchdowns tonight against the uh the seahawks single-handedly carrying the Rams to the victory by the looks of it. But um, I think the offensive player of the year has got to be between Cup and Taylor. And MVP is what, Rodgers and Brady? 
Yeah, and the thing with Tom now is I think they're gonna he, his production is gonna fall off a bit now. Now now these weapons are drying up over the last couple of weeks of the season. I think that's what's gonna be enough to separate him and A Rod over the over the final three games of the season. I, I've always thought that with Tom, again, don't get me wrong, the production's been amazing, you know, but it's the weapons are you know are even more amazing. You know, you have you know two kind of Hall of Fame types, for, or I'd say for sure Hall of Famers, and Mike Evans and, and Rob Gronkowski. And then you have a couple nice, you know, all-pro type weapons. I know AB's been out for a while now, but when you know, AB was there with, you know, with Godwin, with a guy like Fournette, like there's just so much blue blood talent there offensively that I'm not saying that Tom, you know, isn't as good as he still appears to be, but, he, you know, there's a reason why he's looked you know, almost reborn in Tampa from having got out of, of New England. It's just so much offensive skill weapons around him. But what Rodgers has done in Green Bay is just so damn impressive, man. Like I said, I know we're not talking about coach of the year, but, you know, LaFleur's got to be there too, man. Because, again, it's just it, – it, it almost makes you go back and sit there and, and think if they thought that this guy had two more MVP seasons left in him, they wouldn't have grabbed that kid out of Utah State. They wouldn't have grabbed Jordan Love in that first round. They, they can sit here and try and defend that pick all they want. I think they thought that guy was going to fall off a cliff and they wanted to have a solution ready to go that if he fell off a cliff a year later, we were ready to go with a guy that we could throw in there. Because right now, like, you can defend the Dylan pick because it's turned out to be very productive this year. The guy's looked phenomenal at times when he's had the chance to be the primary ball carrier in Green Bay. But you know, the first round pick now on a kid that's going to sit on a bench holding the clipboard for two years when that could have been, you know, geez. So that, that was the, what, the 2019 draft? Is that yeah, right? Yep. So talk to me. Who else, like, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but, you know, who else was there? Who, who else would have been there for them offensive talent-wise, you know, um, that they would have had a chance to potentially uh, – I'm nope. just bringing. I'm just bringing it up right Hold now. Hold it up for me here, because now this is now we're getting off, a little bit off on a tangent here, but it's just it just shows you right that like you know you know in terms of you know asset management and 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 not using those picks accordingly here, right? But you know let's go let's go here. That was the Kyler Murray draft and all those guys. So here we go. So they draft. Is it 2019? 2020. 2020. Yeah, I was just looking at that. Not 19. It's 20. That's right. I'm getting all the years mixed up here with everything. It's fucking COVID. But yeah, 2019. Oh, obviously Justin Jefferson, right? Justin Jefferson. Now he went a couple picks before that, but like, you know, T. Higgins even or Michael Pittman, like someone like that. Like they would be, you know, wide receiver two. How about Brandon Ayuk right ahead of it at 25? Right. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's you kick yourself because you're saying like, man, you know. You got it. Jefferson, T. Higgins. No, yeah. Like, there's tons of guys in that draft. Like, that was a pretty wide receiver-heavy draft where you could have found a guy who'd come in now. and Michael Pittman? How, how's Michael Pittman looking in Green Bay? Yeah. Higgins, Pittman, you know, it's just, you know, I don't know, buddy. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, even Claypool. Like, there's so much depth there. Van Jefferson now is looking like he's a nice piece. Like, anyone, man, anyone who could be in there produ- helping you produce right now, you know, when you needed a little bit of depth at the wide receiver position, you know, it's just, you know, what it could have should have hindsight's 2020, but man, I tell you like that team right now and with Rogers. And like I said, the only thing that worries me with Rogers is, is the league going to be able to anoint him MVP with all this shit off the field? Are they going to yeah. look, can they look past the political crap and, and the COVID, the anti-vax crap and actually say, 
forget all the off-field issues. This guy's on-field was the best player all year, and he deserves that MVP. But and going to the Jonathan Taylor argument, guy's been phenomenal. And it's it's how he's been doing it, man. It's those home runs, right? It's, a, it's the 50, 60, 70-yard bang, like, where the guy just makes a couple guys miss in a phone booth at the line, and then he's gone. You know what I mean? Like, and then that's it. Like, you know, the winning score the other day. I don't know if you saw me. Yeah. The highlight of that play was – in that whole HBO special that they're showing now with the, with the Colts, right? Where you have Wentz basically being like, you're going to, you know, you want to break one here, big guy? Like, let's see it, right? Like, let's end this thing. Like, forget, like, you know, trying to get a couple first downs and kill the clock. Like, let's just go get seven and and be done with it, right? And uh, and then when you see Taylor running when he's when he broke free there and he's looking over the sideline for the coaches to be like, either we want you to slide down inside the ten or we want you to fucking scroll the whole way. And he's and he kept looking over and he, he was laughing because they're like, what? Why would you just put your head down and go for the end zone? He's like, I kept looking over the sideline to see if Reich wanted me to take the knee or like to, to wipe out, right, to burn the clock, right? But yeah, I uh, love it. So dynamic, man. And what is it now? Like what? 10, 11 games in a row with a touchdown score. Touchdown. Yeah, it's phenomenal, man. It's phenomenal. This guy is, and again, you know, I'm not a big Big Ten guy, but like my father-in-law, Rick's massive Big Ten guy, and he was always going on and on about this guy out of Wisconsin. Now he's he's a you know this guy's a killer. He's he's a generational type talent, but you just never know, right? Because Wisconsin for so many years they're cranking out those big boys, right? Like the uh, who is that one guy? Well, Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon. Yep. Uh, remember what was that one big with a big big boy, like a huge guy at running back. Uh, Fred, uh, oh, what's his name? I can't think of his name right now. Big, like big quads on him. He's back. You're, like, not, you know, you're not thinking Ron Dane, are you? Ron Dane, man. Ron Dane. Yeah. Ron Dane. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, they just Big Ten football where they just they crank these boys out. It's like that ground and pound type conference where, you know, they're naturally, you get a bunch of, you know, big uglies on both sides where it's just, you know, they just ground and pound it out where you always wonder, like, are these guys actually as good as they are? Is it system? Is it just how skilled the offensive line is, right? When you have, you know, when you have these big blue blood schools in the Big Ten who are literally producing, like, half of the offensive line talent for the entire league, for God's sakes, right? Like, how much of it is this? They're always sitting behind a guy who's creating massive holes for them or how much of it is the actual talent. But this guy, he's special. And it's the line, though, too, in, in, in Indy, yeah. right? Where it's hard to separate the two, right? That's yeah. the problem, too, right? Is you know, with the running back, it's always like, well, is it him or is it the line? You know, like, whereas with the quarterback, it's the same thing. Is it him? Is it the line? Is it the receivers? It's always really hard to kind of, you know, to say, is it the guy? Or is it the system? Or is he, just, you know, but that, football's a team sport. You're never going to get away from it. There's always going to be that conversation where it's no one's operating on their own. They're always, you know, working collectively with, you know, 11 other guys on the field at any given time. Like, it's, you can't, like, look past that. But I think the kid deserves it. I think... Yeah, it's too bad you couldn't you couldn't put him and the O line because you got almost five, not quite five, but you know Fisher's probably not playing at an All Pro level, but you know you got you got Nelson Glukowski, however you pronounce it. You've got uh, Ryan Kelly who obviously just went yeah. on the COVID list and returned, and then you got the big right tackle. But you know you've got three or four All Pro linemen yeah. inside there, right? So it's tough that you couldn't just take the whole the whole group of them, right? Yeah, it should be like the Jennings Trophy in the NHL, right? Where they give it to both goalies and give it, give it to the team collectively. Like it's the units, right? Give it to yeah. the line in the back, right? But no, he's he's special talent, man, and he has single handedly grabbed those guys and elevated them now to you know where they're now you know in the playoff conversation and are going to be a tough out if they make it their way in there, right? So no, he's a fun player to watch, man. I think uh, you know. A lot of teams pride themselves on that run D. And that guy, he's one of those guys where you may get him under control for 
half those carries and the other half of them are he's averaging over 10 yards a touch. Like it's just, he's got that, that ability to just bust them loose. Right. Which makes him really exciting to watch. So yeah. For yeah. Sure. Old boy, big, big week 16. We got 11 of 16 games meaning something. Enjoy the football this weekend. Always a pleasure chatting it up with you. Absolutely great time. Thanks for coming on for this, for the sixth time for uh, season two, you know, we're going to dial up the number again in season three. And uh, we're flipping over to a little more YouTube, so I'll get to see your uh, your lovely face. Oh boy, as well. I better but, uh, get a haircut then. No, happy ma- happy holidays to you and the family, and and thanks again for everything. Thanks for having me, pal. Merry Christmas and uh, happy New Year, big guy. Beautiful. All right, Triple G listeners, it's Ginger here. It's the holiday season, and we're closing out season two. So I just wanted to say from my family to yours, have a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, a great New Year, or whatever you celebrate. And thank you so much for listening. It's very much appreciated. And to thank all of our guests as well. We had 27 guests on in season two, many of which were on numerous times so shout out to all of our guests matt perino mark osborne tucker franklin from the kansas city chiefs adrian dater matt benzel from the pittsburgh penguins sal capaccio eric smith matt verland kevin turner who was on twice same with matt as well daniel greenberg from the chicago bears kyle madsen from the san francisco 49ers bob herrick golf reporter Jake Liskow from the Cincinnati Bengals, Beth Ann Nichols, Will McFadden, who was on twice, Jason Silver, Kevin Ostriker from the Baltimore Ravens, Darren Irvine from the Arizona Cardinals, Cameron Morfitt from PGATour.com, Jay Delson, former PGA Tour golf pro and podcaster with ESPN St. Louis. Tara, Teron Davenport from the Tennessee Titans, Cody Ward from the Denver Broncos, James Yarko from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, PGA Tour caddy of Webb Simpson, Paul Tesori, Donnie Wrightside Seymour from uh, Sportsbook Betting and Gambling, and Anthony Prohaska from Cover One, and of course our resident podcasters who we have on tonight, Dutch and Old Boy. Thank you very much to everybody who made this transition easy from Ginger and Dutch to Triple G. Thank you for all listening. Have a great and happy, safe holiday season. All right, listeners, welcome back from break. I hope the peeps enjoyed it. A little holiday thank you from Triple G. But we wouldn't be where we are today without this guest. We had to bring him back. He actually has not been live on this show since i believe april 27th when we made the transition over from ginger and dutch to triple g but we had to have him back for season two finale my man dutch let's bring you in dutch how you doing what's going on people how are you ginger i'm doing well buddy i'm doing well before we uh before we get into a little golf talk i know we brought you in here to to clean up uh season two here and end it off with uh with a good golf chat like we used to on g and d i have to ask you i've been pumping it up um on the previous episodes about our trip how did you like the football trip what was your favorite part talk to us about it well it was another epic trip as as usual uh, and you know kudos to you for setting most of it up um i don't want to be a homer this game and the the from start to finish was was just epic the 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 in game the the way it was the way that they treated their fans the 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 production was just bar none 
state of the art and it was nice to go see a real cool stadium. Um, but you know what, listen, my favorite part was, uh, was, you know, just that, that the last day there in Cincinnati, it was a real cool, uh, setup for tailgate, um, old school stadium. It's too bad. They didn't have any fans there, but what a great game coming down overtime. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the trip and it was, it was special to, to spend it with, uh, with Papa Ginger too. It was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was indeed. And, and I, I talked about it too, but to me, by far the best game day experience, hands down, uh, Minnesota Vikings. I talked about it. They they do it upright, no doubt. By the way, Dutch, the attendance record on that Cincinnati game was 50,000. There's not a chance in hell that there was 50,000 people in that stadium that day. 30, 35, 35, 40 max, eh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm in the We've got the little one on the, on the podcast. This is we perfect. got the little one on the podcast. There we go. Welcome. Thanks for the Christmas Ninja Turtle. Beautiful. Yeah, there we go. Well, Dutch, um, let's get over to some golf chat now. Uh, huge year in golf, not only for professional golf, but even for the likes of you as well um, on the local level. But I had a question to kind of kick it off. And what we've seen in, in the ladies tour and the champions tour is are these tours or do these tours have the potential to overtake the PGA tour? You look at the likes of the champions tour. You got guys like Justin Leonard, David Duvall, uh, Tom Gillis, Tung Chai Davey, Stuart Sink's coming out soon, let alone we haven't even got to the guy who moves the needle the most, com- possibly coming out, and he alluded to it, in five or six years. Can these tours take over the PGA Tour? You know, I would have said I would have said no um, right up until you said Mr. Needle himself, and, and if he ever does decide to know what we're talking about here. I, I know there's some great guys on there, but the, the young talent on the PJ tour is still just driving it. And we saw this, this past year with, you know, the likes of the, the, you know, like the, the Burns, uh, uh, Holma, Scotty Scheffler, and all these young guys, Jordan Spieth back on the map. Um, the, the, the champions tour is amazing. You, you know, you, you didn't even mention, you know, you've got Furick and Stricker. Um, nice to see Mikey Weir rebound this past season. Phil steps in there for six events, wins, uh, you know, a million and change with the purses getting bigger. It's getting closer. I, I just still think, uh, unless, um, which, which I think we're going to get into, uh, unless this uh, Saudi tour takes off, I, I still think the PJs, the, the they, they need to do some, uh, some changes. Monaghan's got a, some thinking to do for sure. He's probably scratching his head, but, uh, I still think the PJ tours tops. Yeah, it's it's just you know what it's it's amazing, and I'm glad that this tour is finally building steam because you're right, guys like you and me, all the guys that that you and me grew up with, uh, like you said, Fierk Stricker, all those names you mentioned, they're all out there now, yeah, and, and some some full time, some part time, but you know you, you grew up watching those guys, so you want to continue to watch them and see how their game develops and see how it how it ages, right? So. For, for a guy like me, it's, sometimes I want to watch the Champions Tour more than I want to watch the PGA Tour because if you if you miss a year or two or six months or two and a guy like Will Zalatoris pops up and you, you flip on the screen after a month or two off maybe, you got no idea who that guy even is. As yeah. Let alone when you're, you're on the Champions Tour, you know everybody on there because you've been watching them for 30 years, right? No, for sure. So, for but, sure. You... You, you, you touched on it. Sometimes it's tough because there's so many um, new guys coming on the tour. I mean, there's, we have the staple and yeah, we're both, we're, well, I'm in, <laughs> I'm 45 in a couple of days from now. So you're right. All these guys are the guys that we grew up with and it is fun to watch. I just find that 
I don't know, maybe the coverage isn't as good. Um, and maybe that's just me being impartial just because it, it's sometimes harder to track it down and figure out where it is and it's not as popular. So you don't get as much in your face as what you do with the PGA. And I guess that's what keeps driving the PGA for me. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. So now that we're on this little Champions Tour kick and we, we just fi- finished off Bernard Longer winning his sixth Charles Schwab Cup. Dutch, I got to ask because I, I got my opinion on it. Who is the greatest champion tour golfer of all time? And to me, that's it's two, it's two between two guys. We're going to narrow it down to two, unless you've got a wild card off the board here that I don't know about. But Bernard Longer or Hale Irwin, who do you got, Dutch? Well, first off, let me say that that I don't think that either of these guys are going to be touched um, for a long, long time, and that's because what we just alluded to is that we're starting to see um, some big names pop up on this tour because of the purses and because they just want to hang out with their buddies. So um, I don't think it's any question that it's these two guys there. Um, for me, it's simple. I, even though Hales won, you know, 45 compared to 42 events for, for Lager for longer and seven majors, come on, you got to look at Langer, Langer's tenure. You have to look at who he's playing. He's got tougher, uh, tougher competition. I think he's at 11 majors as well. It's Bernard Langer for me. The guy is just absolutely unstoppable out there, and and he's going to continue to win even next year. Yeah, you know the you know the stat, and I, I, I tried my best to build a case for for Hale Irwin. I re- I really did, but the the stat that that threw it away for me, Dutch, was 268 out of 294 events. He finished in the top 25. Wow. 199 out of 268 in the top 10. That's let like you said, let alone the, the 42 wins and, and all the, all the things that you just rhymed off there. That's just a model of consistency. And it's, it's, I don't care like who you're playing against. Like you could play against like Joe Blow on a Saturday morning, Norm, Normie Brown in the, the group, uh, the Glenway group on a Saturday. Yep. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like it, that stat, those stats are ridiculous. They, that's those are unbelievable to even think of that 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 could be possible. But you have to go back and and think there wasn't as much of a competition out there. And I'm not knocking the guys that are out there, but because it's it's getting more and more now where where you're starting to see when you're when you're getting a guy like Phil coming down who who arguably well not arguably <laughs> we we already know what he did last year on the PGA Tour. It, it's it's no question that that Langer's had more of a of a tough competition to be where he is yeah kudos to hale irwin though what, what i respect about irwin is you know he kind of to me he put that tour on the map 100 yeah if 45 wins and to do it and they didn't have the charles schwab cup back then he still got two of those in the early 2000s um you know three players of the year in 97 98 and oh two and then they kicked in the, the schwab cup and i believe oh four or so so kudos to him and, and shout out to him for sure. But I think uh, the consensus between me and you is that that Bernard Longer is and maybe forever will be the greatest champions tour player of all time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? No, not to throw a shot at Hale, but, you know, he didn't have the best personality either. And um, you're starting to see, see these personalities are going to start to come out on the tour. And they, they seem to be having a lot more fun out there. And um, it's nice. But you're right. Langer's Langer's going to hold that title for a long time. So we'll transition now to the to the PGA Tour, and and I touched briefly on it on on all the tours last week on the podcast, and how much you know golf's growing, and it's a big year for for all tours abroad. But um, we've got a new little pop up tour here, potentially looking at 
who knows what their schedule is going to be. Still haven't heard too much, but we do know that I believe February 3rd to February 6th, they're going to be going head-to-head against Pebble Beach and the AT, AT&T uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And that's this Saudi tour. We talked with Jason Sobel about it, Dutch. Can this thing take off and, and go anywhere, or is this just going to be a money grab for these players and they're just going to kind of use it and abuse it and, and get their their cash and their liquid cash flow and get out of there? Yeah, I don't know if it's a, is sustainable, but you are right, and money talks. Come on, you have to look at the organization that's putting this together, right? I mean, we know where all the money's coming from. We we know that we know the oil business. We know that you know in 2020, these guys, this company, um, Aramco, which is the, which is the big head, you know, 230 billion dollars just in 2020, and they're talking about. We all know what's going on, right? Well into seven-figure appearance fees. Um, this is it's a money grab, but but maybe 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 just maybe they can get some legs. But I think what ultimately these guys are doing, you know, like DJ, we and I'm sure you've talked about it with uh, with some of the other guys on the cast uh, who stays in Schaffler, Adam Scott, Stenson, Bubba Watson, Westwood, all of these guys um, coming. A lot of them mostly from the European tour. They're looking at a big money thing, and they want to say to the PGA and to, to Jay Monahan, let's start getting this stuff together here. I know we're on a record year. Listen, we know it's $840 million, I think, for um, um, official prize money for 2022 on the tour. But yep. these guys want their, their these guys want all of their um, expenses paid and all this stuff, and that's the, that's the sticking point. So as I said before, Monahan's, you know, he would have probably never ever saw this coming back when he started as commissioner. So it's going to be a tough go. I don't blame the guys for uh, for saying, "Hey, sorry, man, we're 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 skipping out on this." And you know, what is the PGA Tour going to do? I, I think the there'll be a revolt with the with the players. I mean, it's not necessarily a players' association, but um, you know, what are they going to do? Ban them from playing in majors because that's the only thing that might ever stop them from from going over there. Yeah, is is and Jason touched on that too. Is is their their how it affects their legacy, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of major wins and world ga- golf rankings, and that's why by that Saudi tour getting the, the Asian tour and the DP World Tour and having them involved with it and kind of co-sanctioned and getting these world ranking points will help a little bit. It won't help with the big name guys, I don't think. I think the big name guys are going to continue to, um, you know, like I said, want to get their cash and then want to go back to the PGA Tour to, to try to, you know, set their legacy. And and that's why I think they were smart in terms of going head-to-head with an event like Pebble. People, you know, people hear, hear Pebble, and they, they hear it, the history around that, that event and that facility. But when you look at the ATT Pro-Am, the field over the last seven to eight years has really fallen off. Yeah. And it's not a great field. Um, so I think they were smart in going head-to-head against it, knowing that they could pull some of these guys that, Hey, maybe they're on an off week or maybe they're playing there just because of a sponsor or just to, you know, get their game back in shape, but it's not a, a big, big event for them and they're not geared up for it. So real smart, um, you know, strategic wise from, from that group to, to go ahead and go head to head against Pebble. Yeah, it's brilliant. And, and, and for guys like, a, you know, I'm not sure even if he signed up yet, but I'll use a guy like a Joel Damon or, or some of these guys that, that have, have, done well and had a decent career on the tour but you know i'm sorry if you're in your you know in your early 40s and and you've you're on the downside of your your prime why wouldn't you go take one 
to two million dollars to show up there you know that's that's more than a that's well that's it's a that's a whim that's a that's a pga tour win at 1.5 1.6 million so if you're going to get paid that to go show up in and play in an event uh, some of these guys might might need to do that and, and say whatever man i'll take my i'll suffer the consequences because they're not those guys like the the jts and the the jordans and the guys that are are looking at the you mentioned the legacy of the PGA tour, which, Hey, competition's good and they need a rivalry. Um, we'll see how it ends up when it's all said and done, but there's definitely uh, muddy waters ahead. So the PGA tour, we, we finished up with 2020, 2021, and we're on now uh, for the first six events to 2021 and 2022. Let's take a step back. Let's look at 2020 and 2021. Dutch, I'm going to throw a few things out there, and then you let me know in, in general what you thought of the year. You know, what were, sh- were some of your big highlights and some of your big, um, you know, your favorite wins or or moments on the on this year's tour that really stood out for you. For the first time, Dutch, in 14 years, all four majors and the Players Championship were just was decided by two strokes or less. I'm going to throw a few numbers out at you. Minus 27, Patrick Cantley. Bryson DeChambeau, for the first time ever, somebody shoots minus 27 and doesn't win the golf tournament. 14 events in a row. This is a great one, Dutch. 14 events in a row. The final round leader did not win on the 2020-2021 PGA Tour. 513. Those were the number of birdies made by Sunjay M leading the tour. For the first time ever, six, the number six, Louis Oosthuizen was the leader or co-leader in a major championship for six rounds and did not come away with a victory. Wow. And he finished in the top three. He joined the list that likes a Jack Nicholas, Ernie Els, and Ricky Fowler um, for finishing in the top three in three majors in one season. And you've got to say it, number 30 and number 50. 30, or sorry, I'll start with 50 first. The age of Phil Mickelson. And 30, in the years in difference between 1991, his first PGA Tour victory, and 2021 when he wins uh, at Kiowa Island. What a great year for the PGA Tour in 2020-2021. Uh, we didn't even talk about all the playoffs that happened. It, uh, you know, We talked about it all season long. It was the year of the playoffs. Dutch, what was your favorite victory of the year, and who was your most surprising golfer or moment of the year on the PGA Tour? <laughs> well, first off, that's some unbelievable uh, research and unbelievable uh, stats. You kind of stole a little my of my thunder because a few of those guys are in what you were just going to ask me. That's uh, okay. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. And I and, and I will go on to it. I mean, you're, you are right. Uh, it, the, the one that just blew me away was the the, the leaders um, and the, the scores. Well, we knew that. I mean, technology is crazy. Listen, I just got my brand new Callaway driver. I can't show it on social media yet, but I have it and I've hit it. I just finished playing Beth Page Black. Nice. That was in the simulator that is <laughs> and um i don't know the te- these guys are just so good but the technology the golf courses uh if you if you trick them up it, it makes it no fun and not fair so you, you have to look at a the, the the people playing it right now be the the technology of of the ball the, the clubs etc and and the fact that these guys can just get it around is unbelievable. So to answer your question, you know, I absolutely love to see Phil win again. Um, and yet another major over at, at Kiowa, as you mentioned, it was amazing to see John Rom win his first major at Torrey Pines. You know, he was battling back from three back against one of the guys that you said against uh, Ustazen. But 
my favorite win, believe it or not, and, yep. and, and maybe it's a homer, but my favorite win was Jordan Spieth back in the winner circle at the ah. Texas Open. You know, the guy worked so hard again to find his form. I just love watching him. It was almost five years since he last won uh, on tour, and, and I think he's back in full force. Um, so that was probably my favorite win. Um, you know, as for my most surprising, well, you said it. You said the name. I was shocked uh, at how well of a year Louis Oosthuizen had. What a year! Six million dollars in earnings. Yeah. You said it. Third at the U.S. Open um, in September. You got to remember that back in September. Then again, he was T three at the Open. He was. You you nailed it across the board. Eight top uh, eight top tens in twenty one for a forty year old guy with all that young talent on tour. Hands down, to me, was the most surprising for this year on the tour. Yeah, and and I'm gonna hop on your your Ron boat. I, I'm gonna add one more point on there too, to bounce back from Memorial, not only to win at Torrey Pines and in, in at home after COVID, him, yep, after the COVID thing happening at Memorial in the in the final round, real cool, uh, real cool for Rom to get the win. Yep. And I'll throw one more big win on there for you, Hideki at the Masters, and it's not just Hideki at the Masters because really it's it's that it's not really a fit like Hideki at the Masters is you know the, it's something new and cool, but it's. They don't, there's not, you know, it's not Tiger or Phil or one of those big guys. But for me, it's about the whole nation that he's going to go back to a country and he's now going to be a hero. They're going to worship the ground that that man walks on for the rest of life. And and it's so cool. And I thought, you know what, really cool to see a gentleman like that uh, get that type of victory. I thought that was a really cool moment. And like I said, something different and fun and not just, the same, the same winner. Another stat I could have thrown on there and to kind of tack on to the Hideki point a little bit. Lowest ever official world golf ranking um, for PGA Tour victories in 2020 and 2021. Yeah. Um, just under 30, I believe. It's like 30, 30.8. Yep. So that tells me two things. Either the world, world golf rankings are actually decent and better and they fix them. Or, you know, the creams, as we, me and you would say, the creams rise into the top. And, it, it, you know, it's the same as we always talk about 10, 15 guys winning on this tour each week. No, absolutely. And, and, and you forgot to mention that, uh, I think you might've had them too, uh, as your, as your pick. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I love a good memory there. Yeah. So Dutch, we'll, we'll finish off with, uh, with our our odes to Canadians. So let's go to now, um, a couple of the breakout players and what you think, I want to get your thoughts on, on the schedule. I've got a couple, uh, one highlight that I talked to Cameron Morfit about, but give us a couple of your breakout players. And, and I asked you for one kind of big gun and then one kind of either immediate guy or somebody you feel that's way down the rankings that could really pop up. Sure. I'll, I'll give you my breakout players for sure. But, it, you know, let me just throw in a Canadian because I know you had mentioned it before. So, and, and it's, it's, it's not hard to, to, to pick. Well, maybe it is. There's there's nine on tour this year, as you as you mentioned. You know, and I looked it up. We already saw one of the kids who I think is going to have a be one of the top Canadians this year, and that's Taylor Pendrith. He's already had a taste. He he, he just 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 missed out on winning his first tour event. You know, I know he's 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 thirty, but he's a bomber, and and I think he's got some serious potential to be a um, you know be one of the next uh, Canadians that that potentially could win on tour. Um, as far as breakout players, so let me go with a long shot. I'm going to go with uh, um, David Lipsky. Okay, 
Two-time winner on the European Tour. This is going to be his first full PGA Tour. He's 33, but I think he just might be in his prime right now uh, that he he could have a good, successful year on the tour. So I'm really looking for big things with David Lipsky. I like it. I like it. Uh, Mid-range guy, uh, we've seen him out there. We've heard him. uh, Similar to... Uh, you know, the case with um, with Haggy, Hama, and that's Doug Kim. Doug Kim, yep. okay? Played alongside with Scotty Scheffler uh, in Austin. Um, I think that he's been really pushed by a guy like Scotty Scheffler um, because, like they said, they went to school together. And he's had a had a pretty good go. You know what? He connected on 18 of his 27 cuts. Um, you know, and he had a couple um, top 25s. I think he was nine or ten times up there. So I really think that he's got a good chance to be a breakout player as well. My big gun, he's already started. Um, he's already won this year, so maybe he's not a breakout player, but is uh, is Burns, Sam Burns. Yeah. Um, $9 million uh, rolling on the on the tour already uh, from last year. One, uh, one win. He's racking up the top tens. I think he might win a major this year. I think he's going to be the big, big stud this year, and he's going to win multiple times this year on the tour. Oh, I love it, Dutch. I love it. I got to, I want to get your thoughts on something and, and just to go on that Canadian's point. Cause you know, Penrith, you're right. He's, he's, he's the guy that we're all going to look for you. You know, I don't think you're going to look for a, a David Hearn or an, an Adam Stevenson or anybody like that. They, you know, Hearn's on it on the, the other side of 40 and, and Stevenson still got a little bit of ways to go here, but a guy that not necessarily a breakout year, but a guy who really needs a, a rebound year is Adam Hadwin. Yes, fallen all the way down to 141st in the world golf rankings, you know, um, only makes 16 out of out of 29 uh, cuts Dutch. That's not like Adam Hadwin to miss 13 cuts on the PGA Tour and his best finish was T6 and it was at the 3M Open. Wow. Um, Yeah. So he needs to get back on. He only played in two majors. He missed the Masters, missed the US Open last year. His best finish was at 64th place at Kiowa. So this is a big year for Adam Hadwin. And I think... uh, you know, he played in all six events, or not all six, but he played six events in the in the fall here and going into 2021 and leading into 2022. Only missed one cut. He had a top 10, so it's a little bit better, but uh, big big things need to happen here for Hadwin, I think, in, in 2022 to, to get back on track. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's hope these, these – these, um, and they're not kids, but we call them kids from, from our age. Let's hope these guys can all do there and, and, and see, you know, a, a Canadian in the top 10, uh, you know, on, on a weekend, pretty much every weekend and out. It would be, it'd be really nice to see uh, um, as we move along each year on this tour because golf's just getting stronger and stronger in Canada as we know it. Yep. Xander, my, one of my breakout – and I know he's not a breakout player. We've, we've seen a ton of them. But he's got to win a major here in 2022. Got got to close this down. And then my my mid range guy, you'll like this one, Carlos Ortiz. Yep. Time to time to get into the victory cir- circle one or two times. That guy oozes talent. He's got the ability, so it's time for him to uh, to close this down uh, and get a victory, couple of victories on the PGA Tour and and contend in some majors. Yeah, you know he's been a mainstay there for a bit, and I, I you're, you're right. He he deserves a win. I think he's put his time in, and he's been working real hard. I it would be nice to see him, you know, flip that switch and uh, and snag a victory, and and who knows where it propels him from there, right? One hundred percent. Yeah, Dutch. Let's focus in now uh, before we let you go for the uh, for the holiday season and enjoy your time. The twenty twenty two schedule. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on. Hey, we've got some historic. Uh, venues for these majors we you know the pga may 19th we're at southern hills 
You're at uh, Brookline for the U.S. Open. Obviously, Augusta's Augusta in April. And then in, uh, in July, we're at, uh, at St. Andrews. So you got St. Andrews, Brookline, Southern Hills, and Augusta. Phenomenal, historic setup for the PGA Tour in 2022. Yay or nay on not only the major championship venues, but when you start to run down that PGA Tour schedule, are you getting bored? Are you getting <laughs> bored of the same old golf courses and the same old stuff? Or are you saying, bring it on. I want to know the golf courses. I want to know which way putts are going to break and you know that the bunker here has been changed to there and, and all the ins and outs, or you want new fresh every week. There's only one tournament that, that, that I care that they play every year in and out. And I said it to you last, uh, last year when we were on here, when we were back doing G and D and I'm bored and I'm not going to lie and I'm never going to change it. We need variety. There's thousands of golf courses across the world. Why can't we have different, events i'm sorry but you know yes okay bay hill's fun i like watching it um maybe there's two courses okay tpc players is always fun that's everybody looks forward to that stretch 16 17 18 and then of course the masters but you know no disrespect to st andrews because i love the place but come on guys like the 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 ones in between there you got to give us some give us something different just just Throw some more courses in there. Throw some different places in there. You can't tell me that they that they 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 can't stand the test of time right now. Come on. Well, and, and the thing is, is that these no matter where they go and what golf courses they play, they tear them apart. Yeah, I, I sat there for weeks on end, and you and you as well talking about you know seventy five point seven rating and seventy five hundred yards and how tough the golf course was, and and then they go out and shoot minus eighteen, nineteen, and not only one guy does it, but six seven eight nine ten guys do it yeah no right? absolutely so absolutely it doesn't matter where they play and what the test of time is no one cares that these guys are going to shoot minus 32 they want to see birdies right just see some cool golf courses and you know there are a couple on there that are that look to me that they're new i you know i looked through it uh actually like a couple of weeks ago and then i re-looked at it again when you asked me to come on and you know there are a couple uh, different ones on there, and and you know you look at where the Canadian Open is this year. Yep. That's it's at St. George's, and, yep. and not many people are familiar with that golf course, which is uh, always fun to see. But I'm really looking forward to when the Canadian Open goes to um, Oakdale. Um, you know I've never played there, and I'm just interesting to see what you know what kind of track uh, it is, and I'd like to see different places like that. It was awesome when we went out to you know, when the PGA went to whistling straights for the first time and some of those golf courses, that to me is, is cool when you're seeing different golf courses that, um, that blow you away right from the start. So yeah, that's I my agree. opinion for sure. No, and I, I can't argue that, you know, you look at that schedule and if, you know, 46, 47, 48 weeks, whatever it is, you know, it's the same 35 golf courses that we've seen for 20 plus years now. And it's, it's just get me something, get me something new, get me something different. I want to see some variety, like you said. Dutch, we're going to send you on your way, buddy. Thank you so much for joining us for our Season 2 finale. Like I said at the start, we wouldn't be uh, where we are here without you getting this kick-started throughout Season 1 and the, and the, uh, you know, the first good half of, of Season 2 and, and we made our transition. So thanks again. Happy well, hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Um, it was, uh, it was, uh, it's always good chatting with you. And, uh have a great, uh, great holiday season. Hopefully we can get through this next phase of uh, life here and we'll get back on track, my friend. Beautiful. Happy holidays to you and your family, Dutch. And we'll, uh, we'll catch up with you in season three at some point. You got it. Take care, man. Well, Triple G listeners, Dutch, 
old boy talking a little bit of football, talking some golf with Dutch. What a great way to end off season two. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's been a fantastic season. My apologies to all the listeners out there. I've been trying to get this YouTube thing going, but been uh, real busy uh, professional-wise and personal-wise with another baby on the way here. So life's been pretty hectic, but I'm going to have some time here over the next couple weeks uh, with a holiday break uh, to really try to figure out and hone it in. And we'll look forward to get that going right off the hop in uh, Season 3. Folks, we'll be back in T-minus two weeks and for sure with the podcast on January 4th and 5th. Um, the season premiere of episode three and uh, hopefully you never know I'll be tinkering and fiddling around with some Instagram lives and some Twitter spaces over the holiday season so you may see me pop up uh, during the holiday time talking a little bit of NFL football and a little preview for some golf as well so keep your eyes open to all of our social media feeds Facebook Instagram and Twitter and uh, for any updates on that Make sure you're tuning in for our pick sixes each week. Make sure you're tuning in at the start of the new year for our uh, G&D golf picks for the opening event of the PGA Tour. We'll get those flying again. Thanks to all 27 guests. Thanks to Old Boy and Dutch for tonight. Thanks to you and all of the listeners out there. Over 5,200 listens on the first two seasons. That's absolutely phenomenal. Who would have ever thunk it? So, Signing off for Season 2 a Triple G, and we'll catch you on the flip side.